Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy Rock preaches a sermon titled, Wake Up, from Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus invites you to bring your pain into the light for healing and restoration. As your pain is transformed, you begin to radiate the brightest light, reflecting the goodness of God. Worship and prayer unite us, putting God first and proclaiming the love of Jesus. In these moments, we silence and cast out the forces trying to drag us down. Despite our occasional foolishness, the Spirit-filled body of Christ works together to love each other back to life. Let's choose to wake up and walk in the light. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. I'm always amazed that when Californians do anything in the rain. I grew up in Seattle. We did everything in the rain. I mowed the lawn in the rain. Otherwise, it'll never get mowed. Uh, So I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning. Welcome. Uh, if you are new or visiting, I hope that you feel right at home and you feel warmly welcomed. In the back of your seat, there's like a, a little card. This is a new visitor's card. You can fill that out and put it in the offering box, which is right there uh, as you walk out the doors. And we'll call you and have coffee. And, um, and if I haven't called you yet because you're a new visitor, don't worry. There's so many new visitors that um, uh, that's, a, that's a great thing. Uh, our little church is growing. Uh, which is just so much fun, so much fun. Uh, so we believe, and to all those online, hello, good morning, welcome everybody. Um, and w- uh, every single week we do this as a church where what we do is that we say, w- we declare what we believe. And uh, it's so important to have this reset all the time for us because we make decisions about what we believe about ourselves and God and that's how we live our lives. And so uh, speak this with me. Um, number one, we always believe that there's hope beyond our brokenness, always. No matter where we are in our lives, God loves you, and he is transforming and resurrecting your heart. And then as he changes you and renews you and restores you, then the next thing happens. That's the life of God. There's no room in our church for the demand for you to be perfect at all times. Amen? Amen. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. Learning to trust God more and more and more in more and more areas of our lives. Second, we believe that we're called to trust in our risen Savior. That's, that's that relationship word. That's what faith means. It's what belief means. It's I'm putting the weight of my soul on God. I'm listening to what he's saying, and then I'm doing something Trust or belief or faith is like putting your car in drive. Does that make sense? Right? Hope is the fuel, right? God's love is the fuel for our life. And then faith is saying, okay, I'm going to do something about that. I'm 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 going to actually move forward in my life. And so we do that not alone, ever. We do that together, right? Because I don't know how to trust God with half the stuff I'm going through. And so I have to say, what do I do with this? That's what we're going to talk a lot about today, that wisdom is actually asking help from others and from God, because we don't know how to trust God sometimes with what we're going through, and that's why we do it together. And then lastly, we get to bring restoration. Right now, just as you are, and I know you might feel fantastic this morning, you're like, I showered, I put my pants on, right? I'm handling it. You might feel like a hot mess right now. And you just got dragged here by somebody that loves you, and you're like, you don't even know why you're here. It doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum. It doesn't matter if you're sitting home alone right now, and, 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 
and you don't even know if you believe half this stuff, right now God wants to use you. Right now. Because he has a plan and a purpose for you that's good and amazing and remarkable. And so, again, we learn how to do this together. So, um, can I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts? Would that be okay? Last week, we talked about how there is literally no inheritance in asking all of the things that the world has to offer to satisfy our soul. It's not that those things are bad in and of themselves. It's just that they don't do what we want them to do. There's no amount of money that will make you feel secure. There's no amount of accomplishments that will make you feel significant. There's no person out there that you can develop such a close relationship that you'll always feel loved no matter what, even in the darkest places of your life, right? Our souls are designed to have Jesus as the cornerstone, the foundation. We're designed literally by him to build our lives on him. And there's literally no inheritance. You won't find what you're looking for when you ask something or someone other than Jesus to satisfy your deep needs. And, And he tells that for us for a reason, that we are to be kind and compassionate and loving with one another because all of us have done exactly that, right? We've all put the weight of our souls on something else, and what happens? We fall flat on our face, right? There's no room in the church for us to say, there's such a sinner, thank God I'm not. Please, right? That's why the person sitting next to you dragged you here. They're hoping that you'd finally apply it to yourself, right? So how you treat yourself, are you kind, compassionate with yourself? Sometimes that takes longer to learn than how to do it to others, right? Because what we're learning to do is receiving from Jesus, like letting ourselves be loved by God and then learning to give that love away. And, And usually we're pretty good at giving the love away and then hoping it then transforms us. But we don't get changed from the outside in. We get changed from the inside out. So that's why we start with Jesus. That's why we say, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I am a child of God. I reject the lie that I'm forsaken and not enough. So I'm receiving God's love first. That's what we sang this morning, receiving God's love first. And then all of a sudden, how does Jesus say? It'll be like a cup that overflows. It'll be like a river of life that comes out of you. Does that make sense? So, can I have permission to to talk to you about about that which is in the darkness coming out into the light? Would that be okay? Can I talk to you about what it means to be wise and foolish? Let, let Let me rephrase that. I'm not asking to talk to you about how other people are wise and foolish. I'm asking to talk to you about you being wise and foolish. Can I have permission? Mike, Kurt's like, nah, 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 I'm good. I'm good. Let's talk about them. Uh, Let's just pray for Kurt right now. I'm just kidding. Um, Can I help you discern about how to love others well? Loving people who are wise, loving people who are foolish, and then loving people who just are, they're, they're participating in evil, and we, we got to figure out how to, like, 
protect ourselves, but also be loving and kind in the middle of that. Can I talk to you about that? Okay. Can I pray? Jesus, help. We just bind up everything opposed to Christ that's trying to attack us or bother us or, or distract us or put us to sleep now in Jesus' name. Get out, devil. Not today. Amen? Father, fill us in this place, those watching online with your spirit right now. Lord, renew us, restore us, bless us, Jesus. I pray for everybody who's feeling sick and watching online right now that you would take away their infirmity, take away their sickness, and bring healing and life to their bodies. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and Paul starts with this really beautiful and profound truth that I just want us to marinate in just for a minute. Are you ready? Read this with me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. Here it is. Read with me. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. That's reading comprehension. You can understand that. Yes? Great. Next sentence. Slow down. Don't just skip over it and go, I don't get that, so I'll ignore it. Ready? Here it is. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. We're going to talk about that for a moment because that is so profound. Keep on reading with me. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In the Greek, the word shine on you is also, it's shining on you, and then we are designed to then, when it shines on us, we then also reflect. That which, when the light shines on us, then when the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So can we talk about that for a moment? So we've talked about the opposite of that because that's what Paul's been talking about earlier in chapter 5 and in chapter 4. When you keep things in the darkness, what happens? It turns into a monster. That's what happens. It will eat you alive. That's what happens, right? All of your feelings unspoken... All of your rebellion that you've kept hidden, all the little secret habits that you hide and hope no one notices, or that you have an agreement with whoever you're living with or whoever's in your family that everybody gets to have their hidden stuff and you get to do your thing and I get to do my thing, right? And we just won't talk about it. I love most arguments in marriages is like when my selfishness intersects with your selfishness, then there's a fight over who gets to be more selfish. Can I talk to you today? Again, I'm not talking to your spouse or someone who's sitting next to you, just you, okay? So the guilt of one moment of, uh, of what we choose that is wrong then turns into the monster of shame and feeling toxic if we never bring that to the light. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's saying. The unspoken feelings of anger that you just keep on stuffing and stuffing and stuffing and stuffing and stuffing, then what does that turn into in the darkness? Bitterness, unforgiveness, rage. Does that make sense? The unspoken words of how you were abused turns into the monster called worthlessness, nothing, abandonment, rejection, insecurity. And what does Paul say? Bring it to the light. That's not to say that you all have to air out all of your dirty laundry at all times. 
You're allowed to find trusted friends. In fact, we want you to find trusted friends to get to know, to actually bring things out into the light. And you don't have to barf everything all at once, right? God usually has this deal with one thing at a time because I know me, like I can't multitask at all, right? Right? I mean, this is me, like I'm very white, right? In terms, like I can't, one thing, that's it. Uh, Especially emotionally, oh my gosh, one thing, right? So what is the church always called this when you bring things out of the darkness into the light? It's called confession. Confession isn't just what I've done wrong. It's anything that has happened that's in the darkness, any way that I was hurt, any pattern in my family that just wrecked me, any way that I've participated in that, any way that in response to people's horrible treatment of me, I responded even worse or not even worse, maybe just worse or maybe just inappropriately. Whatever that is, I'm bringing it out into the light. Does that make sense? What does Paul say? Everything exposed to the light then becomes visible. And that's scary. It really is. Especially if you've grown up in a home or in an environment where if you do something wrong, it's met with anger as opposed to Kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Do you understand why those are such a, a, so important in your family? And you can start changing that now. I don't care if you're 85. I don't care if you're 25. You can change the culture of your family now where it's acceptable and it's okay. In fact, it's encouraged that people would bring things out of the darkness into the light because no matter what, you're going to meet that with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. So yeah, you're going to tell the truth. Yeah, you're going to say, oh, that's not, that's not good. But it, you can say that kindly. Does that make sense? You don't have to say that with rage. You don't have to say that with, with condemnation. You can say, oh, I understand why it is that you made that choice. You know, you can have compassion on that person. You can help that person forgive Right? So what is Paul saying? Wake up, friends. Like, wake up. Open your eyes. Take what is dead and wounded and suffering in you. Stop closing your eyes, numbing, pretending that it's not there. Wake up. See it and bring it into the light. Wake up to the culture that you're creating emotionally and spiritually in your own family that if that if someone does talk about their, how they're falling down or messing up, that you don't meet that with a response that would then say, it's safer for me to keep that hidden in the darkness. You picking up what Paul's putting down? Wake up. How do you get healed? It's not by stuffing or numbing or ignoring it or beating yourself up. It's you get healed when your great wounds are met with kindness and compassion and love. I mean, no one would go to the doctor if every time you walked in the doctor, they said, why are you so dumb that you're hurt? I can't believe that you're sick again. <laughs> right? That's why everybody hates going to the dentist because the dentist or the dental hygienist is like, oh, you need to floss more, <laughs> Right? But now, like dentists and dental hygienists, they've actually taken training to be like, your teeth are beautiful, even though you have like three, right? They're like, you're, you're gorgeous, right? Because they know that if, 
if they criticize you, you won't come back. I have kind and compassionate dentist friends if you need a dentist, just FYI. All of our stories of being dead and then being made alive, they, they make us shine. Now, as I was writing this, I was like, what stories do I tell Jesus? Like, how do I, how, how do I, like, what examples are, do you want me to use? And he just said, wait. And I was like, you want me to not write this part of my sermon? And he said, yeah, just wait. So then this week, we celebrate Lily uh, Pao's life in, in the sanctuary here. 100 people come to her service. And um, her dad, I think Sia, I think Sia's watching online right now. I love you, Sia. Her dad, who hadn't been to church in five years, stood up. Now, in every single memorial I've ever done, anytime I'd like say, let's share memories, if there's 20 people in the service, 20 people raise their hands. If there's 100 people in the service, still 20 people raise their hands, right? And the only person that Margie was like a little bit hesitant about sharing was Sia, her ex-husband. And, and just because didn't know what was going to say. And Sia stands up and just tells a story that he never been in, hasn't been in church in years and years and years. And he wished that he would have come here. Because as we're worshiping and as we're talking about the goodness of God and as we're talking about the kindness and compassion and forgiveness of God, Sia said, I finally feel home. And he gave his life to Jesus right then and there. When you expose that which is in the darkness to the light, then all of a sudden your story of lost and found shines. None of you are condemning Sia because he's away from church for a while. All of you feel like God is that much more illuminated because of it. Margie works at uh, Madonna Inn. If, has anybody been to the bakery at Madonna Inn, the copper bakery? <laughs> Everybody knows about the... If you don't know about the Madonna Inn bakery, you need to go. It is obscenely good. Margie, who's... She lost her daughter, Lily. Margie, who works there, she manages the bakery at Madonna Inn. So, like, every single one of those cakes are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's amazing, right? <laughs> all, of the, all of the bakers there, literally all of the bakers love Jesus. There's, it's a remarkable bakery. That's why it's so good, except one person. You know who that one person is? It's the, it's the person who, who manages the bakery or who manages all of the kitchen, Margie's boss. He lost his son to suicide years ago. And he has hated God and Christians ever since because it doesn't make sense to him until he came to the service on Thursday. And then on Friday this week, he told Margie, I've always hated Christians and I've always hated God, but I got to start scheduling myself off on Sundays because I need to come back to your church. I finally, I felt, I finally felt good. And like 30 minutes later, he comes back and he goes, and whoever was singing all those songs, I don't know who they were because Zed and Matt led worship. He's like, whoever was singing, I just felt so good being in the sanctuary. This, see, when light shines in the middle of your darkness, then all of a sudden you start reflecting the love of God. Does that make sense? We were once addicted, now we're set free. We were once abused and crushed, now we're the ones helping others heal from the same wounds. 
We were once rebellious. Now we've learned how to listen and follow God, and we have kindness and compassion with people that did the same things that we did. We were crushed by grief. Now we're the ones who comfort. We're shy. We shine, not because that we're perfect, but because the love of God shines on us. His mercy and love overwhelms us, and then we become the people that tell that story, and now all of our darkness becomes that which signs. What? It's like creation. Out of nothing, God creates something beautiful. Dead, death turns to life. This is the power of the gospel. And it's not because I'm miraculous. It's because he's miraculous. Amen? So then Paul gives us this careful application to show us how to navigate through this crazy life. Right? He then says this. Be very, read it. Okay, just clue, right? Um, paper was expensive back in the day. If you wrote on a calfskin, each piece of paper was worth $2,000. If you wrote on papyrus, which was the, usually what people wrote, it was still about $100 a sheet. So if Paul writes down, be very careful, he means it. And what is he saying? Be very careful then. Read with me. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So Henry Cloud, the author and psychologist, writes that a wise person isn't someone who's the brightest or smartest or most talented or perfect. He writes this, a wise person is someone who is willing to learn, who is open to feedback, who's willing to ask for help from God and others and values what is told to them enough to implement it into their life. That's what wisdom is, according to Henry Cloud. And all of us are wise at times. Yeah? We aspire to be wise all the time, but there are times when we're not, right? What is Paul saying? Choose, choose to be wise. Why? Because the days are evil. The stakes are real. What you do matters. As you listen to God and ask Him what to do, as you listen to your friends and ask them what to do, trusting God is going to speak through them. As you get good advice from experts and helpers and mentors and counselors in your life, what you're doing is that you're saying, look, I'm not smart enough to see all things all by myself, and so I'm going to get help. Why? Because that which I'm facing is so significant, so real, that what I do matters, Doug Larson says, wisdom is the reward of listening when you'd rather prefer to talk. No one has all the answers. So what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, bring things into the light. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is doing it. Wisdom is not intention. It's action. Look, I work out all the time in my mind. Like, I am so strong in my mind. Squat, bench, clean, good. I got ripped abs, all my clothes fit. Like, I look amazing in my mind. That is not, that is not real. It's actually doing it that matters. Wisdom isn't intention. Wisdom is action. Now, you and I can work with wise people. 
Wise people are open to feedback and course correction. Wise people aren't perfect. Just when they get off course and they hear it, then they change their actions to get back on course. Does that make sense? Uh, Does anybody remember the Hubble Telescope? When the Hubble Telescope was first launched, it was a technical marvel, and then it turned into a a nightmare. Why? Uh, As they launched the the telescope, they used a giant mirror to uh, absorb the light of the sun and then turn that into an image and then send it back to Earth. And they spent a a, a billion dollar uh, on this project to launch it. And as they first launched it and got magnificent pictures back, um, they were all blurry. Why? There was a flaw in the mirror that they didn't catch. (laughs) Oops. Then they would spend another billion dollars working to adjust that image so that the images became clear. And it's the Hubble telescope team, they had, to, they had to learn from their mistakes. And when they started their presentation to the Senate Oversight Committee or the Congress Oversight Committee about, about what it is that they learned, the first lesson on their bullet point was, uh, don't name the telescope with something that rhymes with trouble. <laughs> See, they were open to feedback, and then they could make adjustments so that the project didn't stay ruined. Does that make sense? Yeah. They just learned. That's all wisdom is. So how do you teach your kids to be wise? It's not by saying, be wise. It's by showing them in your own life that when you make a mistake, you're open to listening and then changing. Because your kids learned a long time ago, you don't mean half the stuff you say. It's true. You're like, they already know that game that the louder and more angry you get don't mean nothing. It's true. They, they, that's easy for them to overcome now, right? Your disappointment, <laughs> they don't care. What matters to them is them watching you how you live your life, meaning what is caught is way more important than what is taught. Don't stop teaching them the truth. Don't stop that, okay? Speak the truth to them. Show it in your life. Tell them about your mistakes. Tell them about your failures. Tell them about how you've listened and needed help, and then you got put on the right track. Why? Because that which in the darkness is shown by the light of God now becomes something that reflects light and is beautiful. Does that make sense? Can you imagine coming to church and me just saying, I'm marvelous every week. Once again, I perfectly obeyed. You'd go find something else. You'd go find a different church in a a hot minute. Why? Because you know I'm a hot mess, and there's no point in hiding it. We've all had parents or siblings or friends who refused to listen, who gave lip service to feedback but not actually implemented it. What's that person called? It's called a fool. (laughs) Paul says this, therefore, do not, read this with me, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So um, I have a doctorate in foolishness, and I can tell you that uh, foolishness, a fool only learns from pain. 
Uh, a fool only learns from consequences. I've been a fool so many times in my life. People have given me feedback, and I say, thank you very much. I so appreciate you telling me that. I will do that, absolutely. And in my heart, I'm like, they're morons. I know better. <laughs> do you have that technique, too? Yeah. It's so helpful. Um, why? Why do I do that? Because I'm determined to do it my way. Why? Because I, some, I feel insecure, or I want to prove myself, or I have pride and arrogance, or I'm going to fix it now, right? What's the, uh, right, a fool rushes in. I am the king at moving fast and wrecking things really, really good, right? It's just like, you know what? You want me to drive carefully? Sure. Let me, let me put the turbo on and put the pedal to the metal and just destroy everything in my wake because I'm moving so fast. I have to slow down all the time. Ask all of the elders who help supervise me, and they will say, Andy, slow down. Ask anybody in my family. Andy, slow down. Ask anybody who works with me. Andy, slow down. I'm learning. My greatest foolishness comes when I go fast because I'm going to fix it and make it happen now. Can anybody relate with me? Five people. Can, it would, can, and does anybody have somebody in their life that they wish would hear that? Raise your, raise your hand if that's true. And keep your hand raised if they're sitting next to you. Fantastic. Oh, great, great. Um, so I was telling a friend about this week, uh, about a plan this week to solve a problem, and my, my friend literally said to me, Andy, he yelled, he yelled at me. He's like, stop. And I'm like, he's like, don't do that. Don't, no, no, don't, no. Under no circumstances are you going to do that whatsoever. And then he told me all the reasons why. And I literally was on my way driving to go fix a problem as I was talking to him. And I pulled over the car and I was like, no, I think I can do this. <laughs> and he kept on telling me all the reasons why I shouldn't do that. And, I was, and Jesus literally said out loud to me, turn around. And I was like, okay, fine. I was wise. I mean, I was foolish in 19 other ways this week, but that one moment I was wise and I felt so proud of myself, right? Now, when you're dealing with someone who won't listen at all, the only way to handle a fool is literally to give them over to the consequences. And that's hard for us because we don't want people that we love to suffer. But that's literally the only way a fool learns. It's through pain and it's through consequences. I'm not talking about abandonment, rejection. I'm not talking about kicking them out of your life. I'm just saying that when someone is acting foolish and won't listen, won't course correct, then you give them the consequences of their actions and see if then they'll listen. Does that make sense? Yes. So the, the pain of their unwillingness to listen, to listen and the damage that it's doing shouldn't just be something that we bear. They also need to bear the consequences of that. And that's hard. But I can tell you this, that all the staff members that were beautiful people that quit because I was a terrible boss, that was painful for me and helped me become a better boss. Now I'm listening about how to be a better boss. Before I was like, I know what I'm doing, I'm good. Does that make sense? I've lost friendship, friendships because I've been a fool. And those friend, the loss of those friendships still hurt today. But if I didn't experience the consequences of that, then what? I would have never learned how to be a better friend. 
when we're in a foolish state, we actually need the consequences and we need the pain to hear. I've wrecked home projects. So I've wasted so much lumber <laughs> in my life, right? Right? Cut three times, measure once, right? <laughs> Till that $100 piece of plywood is now worth 33 cents, right? And you got to go buy another $100 piece of plywood. Over and over and over again, I've done that, right? Until I've learned, I've learned now what it looks like to have a plan and to make a plan and to get help and to get input and to be careful and to go slow. Does that make sense? Pain only taught me that. Consequences only taught me that. So what is Paul saying? What is the Lord's will? Wake up. Choose wisdom. Allow feedback into your life from God and other people. And then value that enough to actually do it. Be kind and compassionate and forgiving. Like, do those things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, inform your face. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> right? You can't be kind and compassionate forgiveness like this. <sighs> Forgive you. While I'm slapping you, just know that I'm being compassionate to you. That's not how it works. You actually have to do it. What's the Lord's will? What, wisdom isn't your intentions, it's your actions. Well, now, what about people who don't even care about negative consequences? They just blow past that stop sign. With, they don't mind losing friendships. They don't listen when others say their actions are hurtful. Paul talks about this next. He says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Well, dang it, we live on the Central Coast. What next? Um, <laughs> so debauchery isn't about drinking wine. Debauchery is doing evil for, it's pursuing evil for evil's sake, meaning you want to experience what evil has to offer. Does that make sense? And drinking too much wine is a great example because it exposes of our thinking that when we have an appropriate amount of wine, then it's like, okay, that's enough. But then foolishness says it doesn't matter the consequences, keep on going. And then it's like, no, I'm going to have a headache or be late or I'm not going to be unavailable for my responsibility. Debauchery says keep on going and do that over and over again. Do that over and over and over again because the feeling that you want is more important than the impact that your drinking has on other people around you. It doesn't matter if you're unavailable to help. It doesn't matter if you're mean or angry. It doesn't matter how much money you spend. It doesn't matter the consequences that the drinking does in your life. And you can replace drinking with isolation, anger, eating too much, jealousy, lust, pornography, whatever it is. Like, those are interchangeable. But when we blow past all the consequences and we keep on doing it because I want to do it, that's debauchery. You picking up what Paul's putting down? So what do you do with these people who blow past those stop signs over and over and over again? You hand them over to the consequences. They're like, I don't care. I'm going to keep on doing what I want. Well, you got to put up a firm boundary, and you got to love them from a distance so they do less damage in your life. That's what you do. And that takes wisdom, so you need help in how to do that. It's not cutting off the relationship. It's not never speaking to them again. In some cases, that might be appropriate if they are literally committing felonies against you, 
right? Or they're just so toxic that any interaction is just going to wreck you. And you can do that from a time, but then you can still be kind and compassionate and loving. But you can't figure that out on your own. You need wisdom. You need help from other people about how to do that. In fact, your kindness and compassion and forgiveness while you separate from someone who's choosing evil is what's going to keep you wise in the middle of your storm. Does that make sense? So finally, Paul offers us what to, what to actually do, not to what to avoid, but what, what do you actually do so that we can keep on choosing wisdom and build each other up. He, he writes, writes this. Read with me. Verse 18. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs for the Spirit. Sing and make music from the heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. Sing songs and hymns. I'll end with this story. I've told it to you before. When Levi was a little kid, he was having nightmares all the time, especially on Saturday nights. That's always an intense time for pastors and families, really for anybody, because it always seems like evil's a, a muck on Saturday nights. And so we called our friend Debbie, who now works here as the minister of Razzle Dazzle. This is, we've been friends with her for 16 years, her and Dave. And we said, what do you think we should do? And she said, put on worship music. So we started putting on worship music in Levi's bedroom when he was four, and all of a sudden all the nightmares went away. And I was like, hmm. There's something about psalms and hymns that invites the Holy Spirit in. We can feel it in worship, can't we? When we're worshiping all of a sudden, we're praying these prayers and we're singing them together. It's the most powerful tool spiritually that you have in your life. I want you to be wise. Sometimes there's just problems that cannot be solved by talking. Sometimes you have to pray through it. And sometimes the most powerful thing to do while you're praying is to sing through it. But then in the singing, transformation happens. And we become the kind of people who do life differently. So as we were singing, as the worship was playing, a couple weeks later, Levi comes to me, and he goes, Daddy, squeeze me really, really hard. I'm like, okay. So I squeeze him really, really hard. And he goes, now say, I love you. And I'm like, okay. So I say, I love you. He still wants me to do that to him to this day. He's 16. And I said, well, what's going on? And he goes, this is a four-year-old Levi. He says, well, when you squeeze me real hard and say, I love you, a hole opens up in the ground and the bad guy that's been yelling at me and making me feel afraid gets sunk into that hole and it goes away. And I was like, what? And I've been, I walked through his play, playlist and in that playlist, over and over again, in that playlist of worship songs, it says, perfect love casts out all fear. It'll get into your bones It'll get into your bones. We're invited to come together and to worship and to sing, to let that be the thing that comes out of our mouth. And there's so much wisdom in these songs. That's why we sing them over and over and over again. We let it sink into our bones. And then we become different kinds of people who respond to all the hurts and the heartaches of life with wisdom 
with kindness, with compassion and forgiveness. Because these songs remind us in the middle of my rebellion, in the middle of me and my debauchery, how did my heavenly father treat me? How did my Jesus feel about me? Oh, he loves me. And he calls me his own. And he pursues me. And he forgives me. And he welcomes me home. That's why we sing. That's why we're kind and compassionate. That's why we choose wisdom. We are so loved by God. So Jesus, would you please bless and seal all these good things in the hearts of my friends today? Whatever it is that they needed to hear, whatever it is that they needed to know about you and your heart for them, about what to do in this situation, about how to avoid foolishness, whatever it is that they needed to know, just seal that in them now. And I just pray against the enemy's plans to rob, steal, or wipe away that now in Jesus' name. And I got to thank you that we have people watching online that, um, that are home. And I thank you, God, for all of us who are here right now. With you, we are home. We love you, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. amen. We have incredible food for you. Again, all calorie-free. If you want to come across the street and talk about this and pray this in your bones, that's table talk. Stand for the benediction. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, that's his delight in you, and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Have a great day, guys. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.